I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. That stuff isn't even controversial, <laughs> that we, we evolved on eating meat and animal foods. So why did they eat too much? Because they weren't satiated. So mm-hmm. over time, they, they ate beyond what they needed, and they, they stored that as fat. And that's because they were eating the, the foods that they ate didn't have the correct nutrient to energy ratio, or they didn't have nutrient density. They didn't have enough protein. They were basically diluted out with usually processed fats and processed carbs. I call it the sapien framework or sapien diet or whatever. But all it means is what did humans have available for basically a couple million years of history? And that's what we should still try to eat today. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. My friends, I have a true powerhouse on the show today. This guy is going to rock your world. His name is Brian Sanders, and he's got his finger into everything. He's like a superhuman performer doing this incredible documentary called Food Lies. He's been working on it for five or six years now. And if you watch the intro, it's longer than a trailer. It's just three or four minutes long, but it is the most sensational piece of filmmaking I have seen in quite some time. It is absolutely stunning, dramatic, extremely well done with incredible animation, and it's going to whet your appetite for his uh, forthcoming six-part series 
that he expects to get on Netflix very soon. And it's going through all the history of the, the diet controversy, the diet wars, human evolution, the ancestral diet, a really amazing piece of work. He's doing great work with his Peak Human podcast. And that's how I was first exposed to him is listening to one show, then another, then another. And it's just really great interviews with interesting guests. And he goes deep into... Uh, all manner of topics on this show. So we have a wonderful, lengthy, hard-hitting, deep-thinking show, uh, but nothing too scientific or that's going to have you fall behind. He's uh, great with these basic everyday insights, especially as he's come to these realizations and this common ground, and he's trying to find common ground, interviewing all the great experts, uh, trying to be unbiased and open-minded. He's referencing his engineering background of just looking at this from a problem-solving lens, Uh, but he's going to tell you about the entry point for his obsession with health and quitting his job, quitting his career, and jumping into this filmmaking and this deep immersion into ancestral health, and it's pretty disturbing and sad and it was about losing both his parents at a young age and realizing that even this health conscious family who were uh, doing what they were told by conventional wisdom uh, did not succeed and they uh, plunged into disease it's tragic Uh, but that gave him the passion the enthusiasm to to follow his heart and do this great project. He also has a nosetotail.org website where you can order spectacular sustainably raised beef and get yourself on the, uh, the, the highest category of nutrition. We're going to talk about the protein to energy ratio. We're going to talk about uh, the distinction between processed carbohydrates and natural nutritious carbohydrates. Uh, a little bit of our mutual uh, awakening to this uh, energy balance concepts uh, that are promoted very well by Jay Feldman and others and uh, rethinking and remaining open-minded to new information. Uh, Same thing with the uh, carnivore movement and how we've both embraced that and recalibrated our opinions. So you're going to hear from a sharp young guy who's kicking butt in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of links to uh, connect with him. Uh, but especially, you got to spend a few minutes watching this incredible introduction to his production called Food Lies. It's Brian Sanders, people, and go follow the Peak Human podcast. He's got a lot of good content there, too. Brian Sanders, I'm such a fan of your work, and now we got you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have so many awesome things to talk about, starting with your awesome uh, studio background there, if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> We got the beautiful Peak Human logo. We got the Sapien neon sign. And we're also uh, going to get into this uh, incredible documentary that you've been working on for quite a long time. And it, it frames kind of this whole experience. But I think we should start with your uh, your journey uh, to, to the point that's taken you here. You had this athletic background. Um, you were, you know, uh, seeking health. Uh, I saw the beautiful trailer um, for your movie Food Lies, and you talked about the misfortune that came to your parents, and that really was an eye-opener. So I think everyone might be interested to, uh, to, to take that starting point. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, fan of your work as well. Uh, man, sad story. My, I lost both my parents when I was around 30, and you know that's pretty young to basically have no parents. And it was also around the same time where I couldn't eat anything I wanted anymore. I think like a lot of these athletes, like yourself, probably, you know, you just, you can power through things and you almost force yourself to be in decent shape despite your bad diet. (laughs) Right. 
and uh especially think... uh, under the age of 30 i guess and uh what do they talk about in in the um fraternity world you go from a, a six pack to a pony keg uh you know when when you're 20 you got the six pack and when you're 30 you got the pony keg and that was happening. I was getting the dad bod. I, I had kind of had the dad bod. I was sort of round shaped and I was eating the food pyramid diet. I actually grew mm. up, our, my parents, we grew up, we were following it to a T. And so that, that was part of my big problem is that we did what we were told. So not only did my parents do what they're told and both, you know, lose to chronic illness, but it's the same thing was happening to me. And that's what got me super mad about just the whole system. Like we were eating, I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I guess, yeah, my quick background, grew up in Hawaii, went to a great school, uh, got into UCLA mechanical engineering, did some great engineering work, had a career in that, moved to tech. Then um, well, I actually grew up with film. So I, I got back into film later in life and, and jumping ahead to five years ago when I started the film, um, that's, you know, I kind of just got back to those film roots. But uh, the, I think the engineering stuff really did help me get that foundation of, you know, root cause and figuring out the problem mm. and sort of this unbiased thing. I always say, well, I love my doctor friends, but and a lot of them admit it, that they are just completely indoctrinated in medical school. Right. And they just this is what's in the textbook. And this is what my professor said. And this is what the doctor said. And they just have this view of nutrition and the pharmaceutical sick care system. And they just are all that's just what they do, right? This is like, of course, this is what we do. We just get the pills, we get the surgeries, we're done. No one ever changes their lifestyle, partly because we're recommending terrible diet advice. So of course, they're not going to stick to it. But I, I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that to deal with, right? I came from the side. So even the other people in the health world, they still go through the dietitian schools and get indoctrinated into the same bad stuff. So kind of helped just I came to this like, hey, what is the right diet. Like, what should we eat? Cause I ate the food pyramid and it didn't work. And, you know, we were seriously, we would eat lean chicken, all the vegetables, all the breads and pastas. It was exactly the food pyramid. We didn't go out to eat a lot. My, you know, my parents were very thrifty. It was just like once a month, it was like the big trip to McDonald's and, you know, it, it was, we didn't eat at restaurants. We just made our own food. We used the vegetable oil. We did the whole thing. And look where it got us. Right. So, so this is a health conscious uh, making choices in the name of health and, and the desire to be healthy rather than the oblivious. Um, we, we have to categorize that differently. And when you talk about the food pyramid, that's been the government recommendation for decades. It's changed to a plate, but it has all this um, wh whatever you want to call it. And uh, you're coming into this from unbiased. So that's um, nice that we don't have to you know, continue to, to, to slam the powers that be as corrupt and crooked and all that. But I think the most important statement is you, you did what you were told, the family did what they were told and it, and it didn't work out. And so that's, that's a real eye opener. That's a cause for reflection and, and recalibration. So, yes, exactly. Because there are tons of people in America that are sitting there eating fast food, they're drinking Mountain Dews and eating chips. And of course they're not doing well. That was not us. So that, kind of made me mad in retrospect i look back and and i realized they had pre-diabetes and no one told them for the film where we looked it up the cdc says even the cdc says eight out of ten people who have pre-diabetes don't know it right so we are really bad at recognizing this and the doctors don't know what to look for or the reference ranges are way too high 
You know, you can show up with a high A1C, the high fasting blood sugar, like pretty high uh, blood pressure, all these things. And no one says anything. And, you know, you have like the belly, you basically have the dad bod and everyone's like, oh, well, everyone has a dad bod and everyone has these, you know, elevated glucose and no one checks for insulin. You know, it's not like we're doing like these fasting insulin tests or anything. And so, of course, they didn't know what was going on. Now I know all the signs of prediabetes. I know what was going on and they just were going about their life and no one told them and then cancer and Alzheimer's. So that's why I'm making the film. That's my background. This is my mission. Now I quit my job five years ago, started making this film, didn't really have a plan and uh, things kind of just kept rolling since then. So you're, uh, you're, you're claiming to be unbiased. And are you, are you saying that other documentary filmmakers are not unbiased? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, well, I saw what the hell five years ago. So yeah, that's the I was forced I to watch that too, by my, my roommate at the time. So I sat through the whole thing, um, trying to be polite and get to the finish line, but it was interesting how, um, a skilled filmmaker can present as unbiased and thoughtful and let me interview this person and let me interview that person. Mm -hmm. And by the end, you can, you can see how easy it is to be drawn into whatever the propaganda uh, that that's being, that's being presented. And I know the other film that got a lot of attention, the game changers with all the athletes mm -hmm. performing well, and uh, the numerous experts interviewed and uh, so many people did an excellent job, you know, breaking that down uh, frame by frame and, and, you know, presenting the, the ancestral counterpoint, but there was also a lot of people that watched it without advanced knowledge and, and, and steep uh, diving into uh, the health scene. And we're strongly convinced that the message presented by the movie. So I think I'm teeing up a question for you that, you know, what was your ambition with this film and what kind of preconceived notions did you have besides the fact that you were frustrated because um, the, the government recommendations were a disaster? Absolutely. We've got to back up a little bit. And the Game Changers, I was one of those people that made, I made a full film debunking the Game Changers. It was the same length as their film. I put it up on <laughs> YouTube. I, I mean, film is a loose quote we made in three weeks and we put yeah. it on YouTube. But uh, our, our good pal Mark Sisson was in it. We had Paul Saladino, Sean Baker, George, Dr. Georgia Ede, Dr. Gabriel Lyon, Dr. Jamie Seaman. We got a bunch of people to come in and debunk it. So that's on my Food Lies YouTube channel. And then, yeah, you can weave anything you want if you have no counterpoints, right? You need that. We kind of did show a little clip and then stop it and say what was wrong with it. If you don't have someone stopping and be like, hey, 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 wait a second. Let, let, this is not right at all. Or they found the one vegan anthropologist in the world and they interviewed that <laughs> one lady who was trying to say that we like starches. Yeah, we ate, we ate starches and it like made us human. Like, no, it was animal foods. So, so yeah, you got to watch out for those. And so, yes, I, I'm constantly trying to, to check my bias and not, mm. you know, it's, it's hard because everyone has their biases and it's just part of being human. So I'm constantly trying to check myself. I, nowadays, I, I say I'm in camp, no camp, my whole goal, which is kind of a camp, but I kind of want to be in this camp, no camp where it's just like, hey, if, if new information comes my way, I'm there. And we actually talked about this before the show and in emails, we have this new, you know, we're, we're investigating the pro metabolic diet or something called the bioenergetic way of eating. It's this different thing that challenges our assumptions. I'm all about it. I'm okay. Because it still kind of makes sense in the general scheme of things where the, you know, it doesn't break apart everything 
uh, because it's like we're we're talking about eating whole foods. We're talking about eating ancestral foods. Meat is good. They're just saying, oh, well, maybe we could run on glucose as well. But they're saying natural, like, oh, well, let's eat fruit and honey. You know, they're not saying go drink Coca-Cola and Mountain Dew and eat Kit Kat bars, you know. So we'll get back. We'll get into that later. But I have to yeah, answer yeah. your question because uh, the film. So my journey started about eight years ago. I just turned 39, like a couple of days ago. So when I was so my journey probably started eight years ago with another mention to Mark Sisson, the primal blueprint. So my friends were changing their health, you know, getting just amazing results. And I saw them. I was like, okay, this makes sense. This all makes sense. And so I was already down this path before I saw what the health, right? Which was five years ago. So for three years, I completely changed my life. I had all these, you know, I had the dad bod, I had the allergies, I had joint pain, I had chronic overuse injuries, and I had acid reflux. All of those went away. All I did was cut out basically the bread and the pasta and just eat more meat, completely changed the game. And I just add, instead of bread and pasta, I just sauteed up some mushrooms and onions, for example, right? And I just replaced that. So I, I lost the seed oils, the grains, the added sugar, mm -hmm. completely changed my life, completely changed my body composition. So that was my bias starting the film not only was that my personal story which so many people listening probably have and you know you've done content on this for many years but it was a little bit in that low carb paradigm which i love absolutely love and i still am pretty low carb very low carb actually and i still think it's a it's an amazing way it's like a, a good first step but now i'm investigating oh what if there's a next step beyond that or maybe you don't want to do keto for too long or you know low too low carb for mm -hmm. too long it's like maybe that's an intervention to get you away from the standard american diet get your health back get really lean get really healthy get metabolically flexible and then strategically bring back in some whole food carbs so i'm kind of jumping ahead to like you know the whole stuff i want to discuss but it's all to tee up just what happened with the film because i that's also why it's, it took five years because not only did we not have a lot of funding back then and I still don't now but I I was basically going to make a low carb film and I I'm so glad that it's taken 5 years and we've had to redo a lot of interviews and you know I went to Africa last year we're doing big things to make this way better and the intro is super high quality handmade just you know very custom we're doing everything we can to make it amazing but along that way I've kind of realized I, the world doesn't need some low carb film. You know, there have been some and they've been great or some of them, they, there hasn't been one, I think with a great budget yet that's been made, but that really what the, the film has changed and we can talk about the film and what it's changed too. but that basically I, I went through a learning process over these five years. Right. I'll bet you if you had five more years um you might have uh, further changes and progressions and i know we're in a race against uh these giant uh evil forces uh, just like you told the story with your family and so i remember you know in the early days of working with sisson and and you know cranking out these books um yeah if we had five years to write the book it, it might have been uh, more nuanced and sophisticated but um, we're also going against the bestseller list where people are telling you, um, you know, the, the, the dogma that, that it has been a mm -hmm. widespread dismal uh, failure uh, to, to human health. And um, uh, you, you've said that really, really nicely, that whole 
that whole thread. And um, one thing that occurs to me uh, when you say uh, low carb, it's it's only low carb in comparison to this modern, uh, mm-hmm. highly processed foods diet, where the the high profit items that are shoved in our face and the, and the snack foods and the indulgent foods are really high in processed carbohydrates and of course seed oils as well. And so I'm always trying to check my context and my language now because um, you know uh, you don't want to get uh, pigeonholed into. Um, when, when you say low carb, it could now be, it could now be um, um, criticized because you're mm. deliberately restricting a macronutrient that has a lot of important roles, especially in hectic high stress modern life and what we're asking out of our bodies, especially as active athletic people, but even just, you know, trying to go through a busy day and, and challenge that brain that the, the 20% of all uh, daily calories burned by the brain, and it runs largely on glucose. And so um, this is all kind of nuanced stuff, but I think you also have to hook in the average, uh, a viewer off the street. And so that's a whole different story. Um, as your, is your trailer, I mean, your intro, is it, is it public yet? I saw a sneak preview that you shared with me, but can we find that on? Oh yeah. Um, okay. So I mean, it's on that my is, food lies YouTube. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link to it. that, uh, that, yeah. that intro you're obligated to watch it listeners. Cause it's, it's absolutely stunning and it's mm-hmm. extremely well done. And that'll, that'll draw you right into the, um, the eventual viewing of the full length video. Well, thank you. Yeah. It took us over a year to make that. Not that we were, you know, only making that, but every single shot handmade, it tells a story. It's only three and a half minutes. So yeah, definitely just watch it on the food lies YouTube channel, but it it really sets the stage of what we're going to do. And and it's turned into a six part series too. It's not just a film. It's a six part series. We're trying to get on Netflix and it's netflix quality and if you watch the, the intro you'll know it's netflix quality and it it's not easy to do like i've seen other movies that i would agree with they just aren't netflix quality well i guess they're kind of old too but uh we're also we're, we're trying to make something that should have an entire team and a few million dollars to make and we're making it with a guy i grew up making films with who's now an amazing director editor who did that whole intro and so it's just us too. And then, yeah, I mean, we have a motion graphics guy. We have a composer. I mean, you know, we have these um, contractors we use, but really it's just us too. Wow. That's an interesting blend to be studying engineering, which is so uh, locked in. And then you t- tell me about your background in film and then also how you blend those two, those two <laughs> different hemispheres of the brain to, to be the, uh, the creative energy that you, that you have with your career now. Well, yeah, I've, I've always had that. I think my mom and dad like did have these amazing both sides of the brain skill sets and brought a lot to the table. And I mean, I just grew up with a camera in my hand. So I got one of these camcorders. So I'm 39. So people I grew, I was born in 83. So I have the uh, the first camera when I was about 12. It had a screen. on. It was like the first camera that you could like have a big screen. It's like this handheld thing that had a little rotating thing on the right. And right. You, big... flip the, uh, you flip the screen so you can see what you're filming. Yeah. And it was actually bigger. It was like an actual bigger screen, not like giant, but so this was a game changer. So we would do in, in camera editing, you know, cause we could see the screen. So we rewind and you, you know, you're like actually making a film in real time because we couldn't edit. We didn't have any editing capabilities. Mm. This is when I was 12 and just this, this is what I was obsessed with forever. Then seventh grade, I started doing all the film projects, any project at school. 
And me and this guy, since seventh grade, we've been great friends, have been making videos for every project. We took the classes in high school. We took, you know, the media and journalism classes. We did films that we showed to our entire school, a couple thousand people we showed these things to. So it was our obsession. Then, yeah, he went to film school. I went to engineering school. So he <laughs> became a professional. Bye. See you yeah. at the dorms. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, but then, like I said, I think the engineering side, it really helped. So I got the whole engineering side, all that root cause and like problem solving, right? Huge problem solving experience, critical thinking, so important. Then I even got into the tech world and did a lot of entrepreneurship, taught me design, taught myself to design. So basically all these things came together in the end where I, I built these skill sets and then got back into film. When I was in Los Angeles, I was for some reason, my sister moved to town, maybe because she's like a model actress, comedian, and she got into the sketch comedy thing. And five years ago, all of a sudden, I'm like producing skits and like sketch comedy stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, I love film. And then that's when I saw what the health and, you know, I was like, oh, I can make a film. Right. So, yeah. Wow. And so you you had an engineering career, you had a tech career, and then you just dropped everything to 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 take on this project. And maybe you can transition into talking about the other stuff you do today with this uh, Sapien organization, the podcast and the peak human mm -hmm. products. And nose to tail. Yeah. So I used all of these skill sets I developed and, and I, so I didn't make any money for a couple of years. I was living off my savings. And then I started working with Dr. Gary. So Sapien is kind of just a health, you know, we, we have a program and we just try to help people and work with Dr. Gary. And I got to see patients, you know, as a health coach. So I learned so much actually seeing patients, you know, cause people are like, Oh, what are your qualifications? I'm like, well, I mean, I, I, I'm very into this. I read a lot of research. I got I rid of my of, dad bod. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I have my personal story, but I, I mean, I'm obsessed with it. I've read like hundreds of books. I've worked with patients and really, I, I don't think I'm, I'm the expert. I'm the communicator, right? I'm bringing all these things together and presenting it to people. I'm the digester, you know, I'm like the reader's digest version. Yeah, that's, I, I'd like to stop there because mm -hmm. um, we get hit with that so much and today, virtually everyone sees the MD as the ultimate authority in the health space. And I see them as the ultimate authority in the medical space and yeah. uh, with disease and, and, and dysfunction. And when you need surgery, um, mm -hmm. we have the greatest medical system in the history of the planet. Uh, but for some reason, um, we, we attach credibility to uh, academic degrees and we sometimes discount someone who's living and breathing this stuff and reading a lot of books because you can't, uh, you know, you can't hang that on the wall like you can a diploma. Um, but I wonder how you sort these things out when you're deciding who to interview and, and things of that nature um, to, to kind of, you know, sort through the, uh, the, the vegan anthropologists and the other people that can pass <laughs> themselves off as an expert, but actually are, you know, don't know what they're talking about, aren't walking the talk. That's one on my list. So I'm, I'm hinting you there, but uh, how do you navigate those waters? Yeah, well, it's been many years and, and it hasn't been perfect, you know, and, uh, but, but as this, this bringer together, I'm like a, a organizer. I feel like, like I'm also a community organizer, right? I'm, I'm just bringing people together. And actually that's one of the things I do now in Austin. I, I have a property that we've just leased and I'm bringing together to do this stuff in person to, you know, it's like an ancestral health wellness center. And so this is all I've been doing over these eight years on my journey and five years full-time is finding these great people. Like I flew to 
Miami to interview Mark Sisson. You know, this was, it's like, we need to get Mark Sisson, just keep my ear out for all these great people. And these are the people, these doctors. And so, I, I mean, I did, yes, I do have the MDs and PhDs mainly in this film. It's just, you have to find the ones that got out of the system, right? Like they had that kind of aha moment of their own. They went on their own health journey and they're the only ones that will publicly talk about this and risk their degrees, or maybe mm. they've left their jobs and they don't have to deal with the systems anymore, but they still have their MD and they're still in good standing and, or, you know, active PhD researchers that say research that archeology span and anthropology, you know, that's the stuff isn't even controversial <laughs> that we, we evolved on eating meat and animal foods. And so, so yeah, I, it hasn't been a problem to find all these great people and you listeners will probably have heard of everyone in the film. You probably interviewed everyone in the film. We have so many great people and I, and I found some more that maybe people haven't heard of. So um, I, I want to finish up my, yeah, what I'm doing now. So, so I, yeah, I didn't really have a plan. I had two years without really making money. So I started a company called nose the tail where we do regenerative agriculture here in Texas and raise animals the right way. And we get it out to people. So it's, it's kind of like butcher box. So that's something that I really believe in. And we use the whole animal and we eat, we grind up organ meats into the ground beef and we use the bones and, and all that stuff. So yeah, everything's kind of popped up around the film peak human podcast. It was actually number one in the nutrition category last week. And so I've just had amazing interviews with all the people that are in the film, plus a lot more sapien work with Dr. Gary knows a tail, get people the good meat. We have other products too, like beef jerky type products, Biltong from South Africa. Uh, so all I do now, this is, this is my mission in life and oh, the in-person thing in Austin, the wellness center. Mm. So it's all around this. So now I think I, I do have some decent credentials for, for knowing what I'm talking about. Uh, you're also, your daily schedule is getting pretty packed, man. You're coming into Ben Greenfield territory. I'm going to ask how the heck do you handle, manage all this stuff? <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. Actually. It's a lot. It's a lot. I still get my eight hours of sleep. I've I'm obsessed with always getting eight hours of sleep, but it's, I, but I'm trying to meld them together. Right. So I can work at the ancestral health wellness center, calling it the compound or the sapien compound. But I mean, I can be out there working on the compound itself and on the film and on my nose to tail company, because they're all the same thing in a, in a way we're all just after on the same mission. And so the crossover helps. Uh, tell me about your athletics too. And especially the, um, the multi-event competition that you did that fasted. I wonder if that was experimenting for the, uh, for the film or what were your takeaways from that? It was for the film actually, but I, I just did it as a goof. I thought, see if it works. I grew up uh, playing football and track mainly also cliff jumping and basketball and all kinds of other stuff. All those Hawaiian sports. All right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I was always good at multiple events. I was never, I was like sort of a jack of all trades. I was, I was great at pole vault growing up. Uh, I went to the state championships as a freshman and uh, you know, did well. I was always wow. top in the state, but um, Hawaii has a very low bar, literally low bar in uh the, the pole vault world. There's like five pole vault pits in the state back then. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I, was, so I got back into pole vaulting a couple of years ago. Uh, I trained at UCLA with uh, the great, what was his name? Anthony. Anthony, Anthony. Curran, yeah. Yep. And, Coach uh, and uh, record-setting pole vaulter at UCLA back in the 80s. 
Yes. So he's the man. He's still coaching. I was, he coaches a lot of high school kids and, and stuff on the side from his athletes. And he hooked me up with some of the multi-event athletes, the current UCLA, you know, decathletes, and they trained me for the other events. And, and yeah, I was, I was doing it. This was a couple of years ago and I was running on fat. I was like totally fat adapted. I was telling them, he's like, like I only ate once today and it was just a bunch of meat and fat and eggs and bacon. They're like, what? They're like, where do you get your whole grains? I was like, I don't get whole grains, man. I don't do it. And then I had to explain to them, you know, all this stuff and even the difference between carbs, you know, like different sources of carbs, you know, like potatoes versus whole grains, which I think is a huge difference. Um, so anyway, that, that was amazing. I went up to Canada. It was the, it was, it was in 2019 is before COVID. It was the Toronto, it was the North American, Central American Caribbean masters championships. And I did the pentathlon cause there was no decathlon. Uh, so I, yeah, I did, I did 13 feet and pole vaults in a Los Angeles meet the couple of weeks before. And then I, I went to the pentathlon in Toronto and then, and did that. Didn't eat that day. <laughs> I, I got a little piece of liver just as a goof. Cause I like my camera guy was there and I was like, Oh, my God. and I ate a piece of raw liver during the meat, but that was the only food I got until 6 PM. The meat was from 12 to 5 30. So I did five and a half hours of athletics with just running on fat, no food. And I got second place. Uh, there wasn't like tons of competition, but the, the last event was the 1500 and there were all the athletes in the, in the different age groups. And so I got also got second overall in all of the age groups for that 1500 running on nothing <laughs> while they were doing, eating all the goose. So that was great. Uh, so there's the pole vault, there's the 1500 at the end. And what were the other three events that you contested? So the pole vault wasn't in the, the pentathlon. That would only be in a decathlon. So I, oh, did, right, I couldn't okay. find a decathlon. There was none available. It's really hard to find these events. Yeah, tell so, me yeah, about it. Was, it. <laughs> it was it's hard to find a high jump for, for old mans to participate in. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're still doing it. We were talking about there's no more track athletes out there anymore. In, yeah, it's in weird, the houses. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's the long jump. It was the 200. It was the javelin. It was a discus. And then the 1500. And these are highly explosive events, highly glycolytic. And you're going through a full day where there's a lot of time gaps and there's a lot of sitting around, but then there's warming up and, and, and burning more calories and, and burning more energy and then taking your allotted number of throws with maximum energy output. So that is really a tough order to complete that without ingesting calories. And by and large, the other athletes are sipping energy drinks and squeezing the gels throughout that, that entire six hour block, I would, I would guess. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was a folly, but I wonder, you know, what were some of the important takeaways from that? Would you do it again? Or if, if, you uh, know, if you were training for, for the, the maximum performance, would you, would you sprinkle in, um, some different fuels, that kind of thing? I would, I, I did it kind of as a goof, I say, and just to see if I could do it. And I think I could have performed better with some, I like this kind of strategic use of carbs. It's kind of like how I eat in general. It's like strategic carbs, right? It's like I eat, I eat like fruit or like sweet potatoes at night after my workout. Mm. You know, this is my daily life. It's not like I'm just snacking on carbs all day. Although our guy, Jay Feldman, who we both interviewed, maybe would say to do that. But anyway, uh, I, I would probably do something like 
some fruit between events. And I'm sure you've interviewed Zach Bitter, who does the ultra marathons. And he was like pretty meat based and kind of fat based normally. But then, he, you know, I interviewed him as well, talking about on, you know, during the race, he would use some of that like you can stuff or something or like, you know, what oh, I mean? like uh, during his race, he has a race diary and he inhaled all kinds of crap, you know, half a Mountain mm -hmm. Dew, two Oreo cookies, handful of licorice, energy uh -huh. bar gel. Uh, but the interesting point is that he is living this fat adapted lifestyle and, you know, not over consuming, especially the processed carbs in day-to-day in -day life. But mm -hmm. um, people have to understand when we're talking about extreme endurance performers, most of those people are going at a fat burning pace. And so it correlates really nicely, even with, let's say a ketogenic diet for the person who's going for the, the, the Appalachian trail this summer, or trying to complete a hundred mile run in 24 hours. Uh, but Zach Bitter's running hundred miles in 11 hours and 46 minutes. So he is, if you want to go pace him, you're going to last for about one mile and then you're going to fall off. And so he's in these, um, high energy burning state where he's going to need to supplement with additional fuel, but it's really interesting what these, what these, uh, outliers, that's the name of his podcast. So, you know, the, the top athletes are doing because they can inform the decisions for all of us and, and show us what's possible. Absolutely. So yes, I would definitely, I think I could have benefited, right. If I'm just, especially fasting, like I could have eaten breakfast at least, you know, it I couldn't have killed least... you. You're going to yeah. go burn some energy. Yeah. But yeah. So, but I appreciate, um, yeah, the thoughtful way that people are looking at carbs these days, right? And like strategically and how there's a big difference. I think that's my biggest lesson lately is how big a difference there are in carbs, mm. right? It's like there's, I think there's such a difference between corn syrup, you know, like a Mountain Dew, like uh, bread, white bread in the store, uh, seed oils, all these things compared to yeah, like real, well, potatoes, fruit, honey, fat, butter. You know what I mean? Like people still in the low carb world or the keto world still don't, I don't think fully appreciate the difference between carbs. Yeah. And I guess, uh, processed foods and wholesome foods. And, you know, we've been uh, involved in this keto movement since the beginning. And now you're looking through the grocery store and there's all kinds of things that are wrapper package frozen uh, that have the, the word emblazoned on them. Um, my neighbor proudly showed me his loaf of bread with a whole bunch of chemicals and processed items on there. Uh, but somehow it qualified as keto because they were using, um, you know, the uh, resistant starches or, or whatever was putting together yeah. to keep the, keep the net carbs down. And um, boy, it, it's been, um, you know, bastardized and misappropriated when you're talking about only the macros. And I think, you know, you're educating us that there's a difference between this carb and that carb. And I guess you'd have to say the same uh, for fat because we've demonized fat for decades. And now we know that natural nutritious fats are the centerpiece of human evolution, among other things, human health, cellular health, um, the cell membrane is made from saturated mm -hmm. fat. Uh, and then we have the seed oils, which have been the greatest disaster in modern times. Dr. Kate Shanahan calls seed oils a massive human experiment to see how many people will die from switching over to this high profit, uh, nutrient deficient DNA damaging diet. It's a great recap. And Dr. Kate is a big part of the film and she's amazing. She's a good, good friend of mine, but that's, yeah, that's what we're trying to spell out in the film is what the real enemies are. I guess I'll switch to that. Well, so 
I, like I said, the, the, even the low carb keto world, which I still am in and was in for a long time, they still, I still think they get the seed oil message, I think, but they still think it's just like, if it's a carb, it's evil, you know? And I'm just saying there's such a big difference. And um, I think the level of processing is a huge thing. I mean, you just spelled it out with the fake keto bread and, but I, you can look at it scientifically why that's the case. And I actually did an interview with this guy, Gabor Erdosi. I don't think he's very well known, but he is another scientist, you know, it's kind of engineer guy that came from the, from, from nowhere and just looked and did so much research and put together great presentations about how your body interacts with the more process, the level of processing matters. The more you process down a carbohydrate, the worse it is for your hormone system and the results of your, your body. Everyone knows about the insulin release and the blood sugar and all that, but like he gets down into the GIP and GLP one. And you know, this PPK, uh, I forget all these acronyms, uh, CCY and PPK. And, you know, the whole thing is how these incretins, how your, your gut responds when they're so highly refined that it's a mm. completely different reaction. And then that's why, you know, fruit can be so different because it is still in its whole food matrix. And it is slower digesting and it has, you know, other nutrients that your body wants and needs. So, so the level of processing is a huge story when you're talking about the difference in carbs, right? And the carbs that I listed, fruit, honey, uh, potatoes, stuff like that, these are not processed. These are whole foods from nature. Even if honey does seem like it's kind of processed down and, you know, some people could still have a bit of a problem with honey because it does hit your system pretty fast but it still has other nutrients in it. And it's still not as like concentrated uh, of a carb. Uh, you know, you can go on and on about, about honey. That's its own little debate. But anyway, <laughs> there's just such a like level of processing matters. I think more than anything. Yeah. I, I talked to Dr. Robert Lustig, a highly respected researcher, leader in the anti-sugar crusade on the globe, author of Metabolical and many other great books. And he argues uh, very persuasively with a lot of research behind him that if you simply eliminate processed foods and eat only wholesome, nutritious, natural foods, you can't get fat. You cannot get type two. You cannot get disease state from consuming processed foods. And that's a pretty only, big assertion yeah. if you think about it. Uh, but if we can all raise our hand and, and acknowledge, like, have you ever stuffed your face on too many steaks or, or too many omelets or uh, too, too many slices of salmon? And it's really difficult to, to binge on those kind of foods because they have that natural satiety and that deep nutritional value that gives you the satisfaction. And you, you just can't, you just refuse to eat too many of the nutritious foods, but it's so easy in the comparative example of you know, going for one scoop of uh, Ben and Jerry's and then all of a sudden the whole pint's gone and then you're reaching for something else a couple hours later. Um, what you were talking about before, we hear this term endotoxin is now being uh, bantered about more frequently, which is a consequence of consuming um, processed foods such as processed sugar versus the, the natural sugar that you, um, you, you see in the fruit and the endotoxin, that's, that means internally manufactured toxin released into the bloodstream as a reaction to consuming shitty food. And this inhibits your ability to burn energy. And so therefore you uh, have a tendency to become dependent on these outside sources of crappy energy because your body's not good at burning fat or processing calories. 
that's that's a great overview then getting down to like the lipopolysaccharides and like gut and you know and these that's what the endotoxins are and they can leaky gut and all this stuff and all the the processed foods can even you know make your gut leaky in the first place and then it just makes it worse so yeah the, i think the level of processing is huge satiety is huge i'm obsessed with the satiety thing i'm glad you brought that up because it's really tied into level processing and there have you ever interviewed dr ted Naiman? Oh yeah. I, I so, love yeah. his PE diet and yes. um, just so simple and, and the insights about exercise uh, where he's just advocating that you can do one single set to maximum exhaustion. And that could represent a, a great day's workout or do one, you know, four hours later. So he'll do one set of pull-ups and that'll be his morning. And then he'll sprint up a hill in Seattle and then head back. And it's a really uh, thoughtful way to uh, become not just fit, but but really fit. But I think his great contribution that you're probably mentioning is that uh, protein to energy ratio in the diet. Maybe you can discuss yeah. more about where that fits. Absolutely. And, and I think Dr. Ted is my biggest influence along with Mark Sisson, both really ripped, very healthy guys, very smart. And I love it. Ted and his workouts. I do similar workouts to the one I do drop sets to failure. So I go say I, I do a weighted dip. So say I'll do a dip with a 45 pound weight hanging from it. Oh, sorry. Got to put my phone on silent. It, uh, that's a uh, lot of weight, man, to do a dip. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'll do, I'll do dips with a 45 pound weight hanging. Then I'll take it off, do a 25 pound dumbbell. So immediately, so I go to failure, then drop the weight do the 25 pound weight hanging, drop that, and then do it with no weight hanging. So it's, it's, I I'm trying to one up Ted on his, his thing and just say, I'll do these drop sets to failure to really even maximize my effort even more in where I could do that one set and be done. And so then I'll just do different exercises like compound exercises in that style and sprint. So yeah, absolutely. we got a little sidetrack with the exercise stuff. I, he's, he's a genius. It's all about efficiency. He was a mechanical engineer as well. Before mm. he went to med school, he got a mechanical engineering degree. Good pal of mine. He's great. So, but his protein to energy stuff is amazing. And that ties into, um, the nutrients to energy. So we actually take it a step further in the film and go nutrients to energy, because I think he's limiting himself with just protein, mm. right? Protein. He's advocating for animal source protein. And that comes with a whole bunch of nutrients. But we're saying protein is a nutrient. Why don't we just call it nutrients to energy? And this is all your vitamins and minerals and amino acids, fatty acids, everything. These are your nutrients. And then your energy, yes, those are fat or carbs generally. And so I, I think that's genius on how to look at a diet and how to look at food is like your body wants nutrients and it needs energy to get through the day, but it, it doesn't need more than that energy <laughs> to get through the day. And most people, eat way more. So their, their, their nutrient side of the equation is low. Their energy side is, is high. Right. And this is the same that, you know, Dr. Ted, you and I, we all agree, like, let's just shift that ratio. Let's move up the protein and nutrient side. And like, it's basically just a seesaw. People just need to seesaw their diet up the nutrients and energy. I mean, sorry, up the nutrients, the protein, all the vitamins, minerals, and then just lower the energy a bit. And you have amazing results. It's, it's, he's just like, uh, it works every time he sees tons and tons of, he sees like hundreds of patients a week and just gives them this type of advice. Yeah. And, Talk uh, about credibility. Like if you're walking around as a fit specimen 
I'm going to give you instant credibility. It's like uh, seeking uh, guidance for as an athlete and how I can train better. Um, I'm going to look to someone who is a past champion or is, you know, excelling as an, it, not necessarily that they're, you know, uh, the ultimate expert and the best resource, but it's an entry point uh, that, you know, speaks volumes. And um, uh, if any listeners were um, a little um, falling back here on this idea, um, just to slow down, like when you say nutrient to energy or protein to energy and the seesaw, we're talking about the energy your food provides is calories, right? So you can have four 7-Eleven Slurpees and get um, to 2000 calories of energy with very little nutrition or, or no nutrition. And so that's what that seesaw Brian's talking about is to get maximum nutrient density in the calories that you're consuming. And I think that's the centerpiece of the book that Ted and William Schufelt, uh, produced the protein to energy ratio saying like, if you're, you know, going for high protein foods, um, that's our basic biological drive. Our strongest biological drive is to get our protein needs met. Cause we're going to die without that. And so if we, you know, emphasize those, we're going to get maximum protein per uh, total number of calories. And that's going to kind of optimize caloric intake, body composition, things like that. Yeah. And it brings in the protein leverage hypothesis. And, you know, there's been a lot of studies, the Robin Heimer and Simpson studies, and the, I read the book, Eat Like the Animals, which is a great book, except they get, they get protein wrong. It's very mm. interesting how they, they they talk about the protein. They're the ones that came up with the protein leverage hypothesis, but they think that they say protein's great for kids, great for pregnant women, great for older people. But because of, you know, some weird reason, it's bad for people in their middle age. And, mm. and actually a great guy, Marty Kendall from Australia did a breakdown of why they came to that conclusion is they, <laughs> they left out a lot of data. So they did these rodent studies and they, the, the mice with the super low protein group, so many of them died and they threw them out. And they threw they them out of data and they're like, <laughs> Barty's like, wait a second. They died because they were too low protein. Like they were, they got emaciated and passed away because their protein was low. That's part of the data set. Right. And if you <laughs> add those back into the data set, there is no problem with protein. These, right. you know, it changed the whole game. So people can try to find that post by Marty Kendall because it's, it's on the, the protein leverage and their study, but anyway, protein leverage for people who don't know. It's all organisms eat to a certain amount of protein. And if you dilute down their food with less protein, they will eat more of it to get that same amount of protein. And they've done these, they started this in crickets. I think it was that, you know, they, they, they start, they did these tests, worked in crickets, worked in rodents, worked all the way up the food chain to mammals. There, there's not many tests, but I, they did some small tests with mammals that when, if you basically organisms eat to a certain amount of protein and if their food supply is bad. So basically that's, what's happening in the U S is we have a protein dilution, right? This is Dr. Ted's stuff. It's just so simple. It's like, Hey, we, we get all these processed foods. Protein's the most expensive. It's a least shelf stable. We, all the processed foods are low in protein. They're high in energy. You, you, the entire ratio of the diet shifts to more energy and not enough protein. And so people have to eat more of this bad food. It's like, why, why can you eat a whole bag of chips and not be full? And then you, or you want to eat, maybe you're full temporarily and want to eat two, two hours later. Same thing with the ice cream. Yeah. I mean, there's not that much protein in ice cream. There's just a whole bunch of energy. And so the, I, I think it's, it's a very elegant equation, but that's why I wanted to add nutrients to that because it's not just about protein to energy. There's so much more than just protein. Like, you know, Ted, what, 
it's just like, okay, so should we just eat egg whites and whey protein powder all day? And I say, no, we, we need all the nutrients that come along with it. And this actually is satiety. So why does this diet work? And why does it make sense? Is if your body gets all the nutrients it needs, it is satiated. I think satiety, and I think why people are hungry and, and losing weight or being overweight is a battle of hunger. Really, that's what it is, right? It's just, why did, why did someone eat too much energy? Why did someone eat too many calories, for example? Well, they didn't want to, you know what I mean? No one wants to be fat and sick, yet they are. So why did that happen? You know, this, these calorie balance people always say, oh, we'll eat less, move more. You know, it's just, it's so stupid because no one wants to eat too much, but they did. The question is why? So why did they eat too much? It's because they weren't satiated. So mm -hmm. over time, they, they ate beyond what they needed and they, they stored that as fat. And that's because they were eating the, the foods that they ate didn't have the correct nutrient to energy ratio, or they didn't have nutrient density. They didn't have enough protein. They were basically diluted out with proce usually processed fats and processed carbs. And so it's inevitable. Like people can try to do calorie restricted diets and just restrict the same low nutrient density foods, the same processed foods with a low nutrient to energy score, but it's not going to work long-term because you can't have endless willpower. You like, you know what I mean? These foods are inherently not satiating and not, and, and again, satiating means nutrients. It's like, if your body lacks the proteins, vitamins, minerals, you know, fatty acids that it needs, it will keep eating. So it's like, <laughs> it's like this impossible equation to ask someone to go against their human nature mm. to get those proteins, nutrients, vitamins, minerals forever. And so that's why crash diets can work. Any diet can work. Mm. You can eat all potatoes, right? The, the whole like, uh, what's there's it the Twinkie Pen, diet Pen, guy lost 20 there's pounds, a Twinkie diet, potato, Pen, hack, Pellet, right? Pen and Gillette, Pen Gillette. Yeah. Yeah. Pen Gillette ate potatoes and you know, it's like, okay, great. He lost a lot of weight. That doesn't mean anything. It, yeah. You need the, like for long-term health, you need the nutrient to energy equation. So that again, I'll do one more recap. This ties into the satiety very well. It also ties into level processing very well. Mm. It's basically the, the higher level of processing, the lower the nutrient to energy ratio is, the lower nutrient density it is. So it really all leads to whole foods and animal foods. And if you and animal foods have the more bioavailable and complete source of protein. So if you're eating a whole foods diet with enough animal protein, you're fine. And you can do all kinds of ratios. I like that Robert Lustig. I mean, yeah, he's great as well. He, he's a little hardcore about some things, but uh, he he's generally has it correct. You cannot get fat on whole foods. And if you have, you just need some sort of animal foods in your diet. Like I said, it's, it's whole foods with, with animal foods and you're good. And this one more thing before I end this rant, because it ties in with Dr. Ted. Uh, I look up to him a lot. He's taught me so much, but I got to, I got to get in his ear a couple of years ago. I went up to Seattle for Thanksgiving and I pitched him this idea of satiety per calorie. So this, it, it was kind of like going off what he was talking about of, of the protein to energy mm -hmm. ratio. And I was, I told him satiety per calorie is everything. Every food has a satiety per calorie. Okay. So I'll give you the example, a steak, any whole food has a satiety level that matches the calorie level. If I eat a giant steak, it's a thousand calories. 
it has a thousand satiety units. A point right? score. I'm full, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a full for the correct amount of time. And I got all the nutrients I needed. A piece of salmon, correct satiety to calories. Even a potato, I think, has a correct satiety to calories. because It's a whole food. You know what I mean? Like Ted would agree. He, you know, he has a satiety like kind of calculator and a potato is up there. Any whole food is up there because it's in its whole food matrix and the satiety matches the calories. That's why you don't need to worry about calories because if they match, that's all you care about. Okay. Then I'll do the extreme opposite example, <laughs> a soda. A soda has all the calories, almost no satiety, right? You're not going to get full from a soda and it's the most highly processed and least protein, right? And then in the middle, you could have, I don't know, a bowl of pasta. So it's like it has, you have all the calories, but you don't have all the satiety. There's like the whole joke, you eat Chinese food, which is basically just pasta. You know, it's just a bunch of noodles and starch. You're, yeah. you're just not full. You're not full for the correct amount of time. So it's a, if you have the correct satiety per calorie, you, you will basically go to like naturally arrive at your correct body composition and you should be, be losing fat, excess fat. So basically it's another way of saying just to eat whole foods. It's another way of saying the more you process foods, the worse they get for you. I think this is like the root cause. This is my whole engineering side mm. is the, the, the whole root of why people overeat, why people get sick is because they're eating foods that don't have the correct satiety to calorie, which is just processed foods. I'm pleased to present B-Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro-filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Whew. Yeah. Or, or possibly uh, engaging in a, um, a deliberate restrictive diet where you're restricting a certain macro, for example. So maybe over the long term, you're adhering to this ketogenic diet, you're eating some nice, nutritious, high satiety, wholesome foods, you're doing a good job with it, right? Um, but, uh, perhaps with only 50 grams of carbohydrates, uh, intake per day, um, you're going to get into a similar, 
uh, satiety equation or uh, which we didn't really discuss as as part of this is the compensatory uh, behaviors that the body engages in if you insist on restricting calories or minimizing uh, your nutritional requirements you're going to turn down a whole bunch of flames uh, such as your reproductive health your immune function your repair and um, also your performance when you're doing uh, exercising or uh, trying to avoid brain fog in the afternoon so you know we have this this incredible obligation to nourish ourselves on on a whole bunch of levels, or uh, we will survive, but we're not going to thrive. And that's the part, this might open up the discussion to, you know, some of the evolution in in thought that we we touched upon earlier, where we've been, um, you know, compelled to challenge some of the foundational premises of of ancestral health and, um, you know, look at, uh, for example, Jay Feldman's work with the energy balance uh, equation, energy balance podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good transition because it's not all just satiety per calorie. I think that's a lot of it, right? That's one factor. You talk about gut health, which is another factor, but that's again, ties into the more processed foods, the worse it probably is for your gut. And then there's, a, there's this whole other world of y- your body's response or just getting the correct nutrients. I think part of the correct nutrients might be that glucose which is what this pro-metabolic crowd that Jay Feldman in, is in is about, is that you, you shouldn't be restricting this, that, that is actually a good nutrients. It actually is like glucose actually is a clean burning source of fuel if you eat the right form of it. And I've seen that too with people. I think I saw it myself a little bit a couple of years ago is when I started getting into this stuff of like, oh, I think I am downregulating my, my metabolic function if by going too low carb for too long. And like some people may know this, they, they're cold, cold hands and feet, or they're just cold in general. Maybe they have low thyroid. Maybe women are losing their period. Maybe you're waking up in the middle of the night, all these little things, low body temperature. I started uh, measuring my body temperature. I got this little thing on Amazon for like $6. And I was like, Hey, my body temperature is like 97. You know, it should be 98.6. And then as I started introducing more whole food carbohydrates, it started raising. It was kind Mm. of a dose dependent linear thing where I would eat more 97.5, you know, 97.8. And I started sleeping a little better and I just kind of didn't have all these little symptoms. So I think this is actually ancestrally consistent too, which we could talk about the history because I just interviewed Jay Feldman. Actually, I didn't release it yet, but I, you know, asked him about that and I'm, and, and there's more people that there's way more people than Jay Feldman, this crowd, this is, you know, there's, um, I think a lot of this is based on Ray Pete's work, actually, mm-hmm. well, they credit Ray Pete, who has interesting ideas. He's very against PUFAs. Like he, he figured out this PUFA stuff many, many years ago, decades ago about how bad the seed oils and the PUFAs were. And so, uh, there's other people that have kind of taken on this pro metabolic world that that's really interesting and people should check out. But the idea is, that yeah, you are downregulating your system if you're not getting the the glucose. Really, it's that your body. This is challenging. Sort of these keto views is that you're like, oh, you can make your body can make its own glucose from gluconeogenesis, and then you're kind of like, oh wait, but then why do you want to make your body do that? You yeah, know? that's and, the and part that's a big. It's a big slap in the face to me to 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 acknowledge. And this was Jay's uh, one-liner that really stopped me in my tracks. He said, um, you know, fasting, keto, low-carb, time-restricted feeding, all this cool stuff, 
um, they turn on stress hormones and that's the mechanism by which they deliver the, uh, the, the vaunted benefits. Um, but do we want to engage in more stressful behaviors when we already have uh, an incredibly stressful, hectic modern life layered upon that, uh, our athletic goals, our fitness goals, and then we're going to go and fast as well. And to me, it was a wake up call because I'm trying to minimize my stress factors and redirect almost all the energy I have, let's say to my peak performance goals as an athlete, I want to perform, recover, and I want to be optimally fueled. And so if you're kind of, um, throwing in, um, and, and, you know, they, they bring into like cold exposure, sauna, uh, <laughs> sprinting, fasting, mm. ketogenic diet, uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're weighing down one side of the scales of justice with a bunch of stress. Speaking of your, your engineering reasonability here. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, what about the other part where the guy gets to eat after doing the sprint workout? It's so true. It's so true. We have enough modern stressors in this world. And I think, yes, he, he was kind of saying, that's why people can feel good because these stress hormones feel good in a way, right? It's like this cortisol release. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good point. Yeah. I'm, I'm alert and energized all morning long uh, because I'm fasting and definitely true and legit, but what's the mechanism and is that optimal to be kicking on uh, cortisol when you're also going to have some cortisol spilling out when you get into an argument with your significant other later that afternoon, and then you're dealing with um, the kids and then you're having more stress. And then you're going to go uh, out for a five mile run to blow off some steam because you've had such a stressful day. It's, it's right. And, and I think there, I'm trying to just get the, like, how can I benefit from all sides of this? What is the, how can I reconcile this kind of new promo about pro-metabolic view of things with the kind of ketogenic view of things with the ancestral lens. And I think there is a balance there somewhere where I still don't think it's not like I'm going to stop, you know, sprinting or doing, you know, I'm not going to eat like eight times a day now, but it's like, how do I, how do I uh, reconcile all this and make and keep it consistent with sort of a worldview, right? I like these (laughs) kind of theories of everything, you know, like the unifying theory of, of nutrition. Actually, I, I was, trying to find that, like, does it all make sense? And it generally does still make sense with these new ideas where you don't want to run on stress hormones. You don't want to, you know, restrict carbs so much. So, so like I'm saying is it, I think it does all fit and we could, so the ancestral view of this would be, we did, it, it depended on where humans or early humans were in the world and what they had access to. And there were a lot of people around the equator that could have access to tubers and fruits a lot of mm-hmm. the year, or there are some that didn't, but I mean, it's still cyclical, you know, even that part, right. Eating seasonally should be important. It's not like people were just keto for like 30 years in a row. It's maybe they're keto for nine months in a row. Yeah. And then they, they got some berries and they, or they found a bunch of fruit or it, it, it's hard to know what, what went on back then. But I mean, I did go to Africa last year mm. and I was with the Hadza and the Maasai and the Hadza. I mean, if they would eat berries, right? They find berries, they eat berries, they find honey, they eat honey. The women are back digging up tubers. Although there actually isn't much carbohydrate in those tubers. I ate, ate some of them and it was just pure fiber <laughs> and they just spit jerky. out the fiber. It was just, it was like, I think you, you probably got a few calories of glucose out of it. And then Mm. they just spit out the fiber, but still, you know, there, there was ways to, to get these forms of carbs or glucose 
that, you know, they're around. You got to dig them up. You got to find them. Who knows? We, we don't really know what went on back then, but I think it, it kind of still makes sense to me that they were Whole Foods. I mean, one thing we know for sure is they were Whole Foods, right? They didn't have the Costco's and the 7-Elevens and anything back then. So whatever they're eating, it was some version of Whole Foods. So that's why it's, so I'm trying, so we, we start off by asking my bias. My bias is actually <laughs> almost nothing anymore besides just what was available to humans that there there's a framework i call it the sapien framework or sapien diet yeah. or whatever but all it means is what did humans have available for basically a couple million years of history and that's what we should still try to eat today so i think what wasn't available was the three ingredients that i mentioned that mark mm -hmm. sisson's you know wrote wrote in his book 15 years ago, it's the added sugar, the refined grains and the seed oil, these three ingredients, same stuff with the Weston price. I'm, I've loved the Weston price stuff. He found this out a hundred years ago, going around the world. The, they ate natural foods, all the populations he visited, they were eating tons of animal foods, fat, organ meats, eggs, you know, fish, all that stuff. And they were all healthy. As soon as they got in those three ingredients, their health tanked. So my worldview that kind of fits in the pro metabolic worlds and the keto world is that it's just these three highly refined foods mm. that are the problem. And mm. these are, you know, they came into the diet and they cause mayhem everywhere. And there's still modern day native living people that eat. We can study and they can eat high starch diets like the toku lawans or the uh, like there's certain groups that don't really have access to much animal foods. They're eating a whole bunch. They're just, you know, maybe 80% of the diet is sweet potatoes or taro root or something like that. They're fine. They, they have, they're not, they don't have the chronic diseases. They're not overweight, but they're eating all whole foods. Right. So I think there is this, it, it's, it's kind of like, I wish I had a graphic here to show, like there's this spectrum. It's like, I, I made this graphic and in the middle is all the protein and nutrients and meat and eggs and like just solid nutrient foods, right? This, that, and then on the sides, you can have the more fatty foods on the right. And then maybe the more carby foods on the left, but they're all whole foods. And you can kind of just swing back and forth into this and you can be healthy on any version of this, if that makes sense, mm. right? You can go, I'm getting my base of nutrients and protein and vitamins and minerals from, you know, animal foods that we've always eaten and maybe like low sugar, whole foods. And then I can fill in the rest of my diet, which is basically the energy portion of my diet with more fats or mm. more carbs, but it's all good because they're whole foods and your body's says great. So I think that kind of is my summing it up is that the unifying theory does make sense if it's based on whole foods, ancestral foods that we've had available and you can swing to either side of the spectrum. So very nice. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we said this years ago in the Primal Blueprint that the idea here is to adapt the ancestral example into the realities of hectic, high-stress modern life. And I've taken some backpedaling on that very concept uh, when we're we're hearkening uh, our, our favorite example of ancestral living. And you know, maybe our ancestors did uh, live in strict ketosis for years on end because they were struggling and suffering. And so we have this ancestral uh, information, but how do we optimize today might require another layer of uh, a strategy 
or thinking. In other words, we don't need to model, um, you know, the, the, the harsh uh, survival of the fittest circumstances today, and nor should we. Um, I was thinking of Dr. Perlmutter's uh, strong assertion that we shouldn't consume any fruit in the winter because it's against our ancestral example when fruit didn't exist in the winter. Mm -hmm. So you can only have your berries in the summer. And I'm like, hey, good point, good point. I've adhered to that for many years. I've had a sticky note uh, as one of my favorite quotes about that because it's simple and you can spout that, um, you know, in the elevator or on the mm -hmm. air Nick, to the person in the airplane seat. But then I'm thinking like, well, wait a second, what winter, man? Because last winter, I went to Hawaii twice on a jet mm -hmm. airplane and did some fun exercising and hiking uh, in, in the hot weather and, and had some fruit after. And then uh, furthermore, uh, I have lights on in my home until 10 p.m. all winter long. And I'm also going over to the gym, working out under fluorescent lights and lifting heavy things and, uh, and sprinting and so forth. So um, we can easily kind of get sidetracked with this obsession uh, with certain, you know, things that turn into a fad like keto. And uh, we have to see this as, you know, a wonderful uh, tool to regain metabolic health when we've screwed it over with consuming those, those big three toxic modern foods. Um, but is it optimal for someone who has health and fitness goals and, and, and a stressful day? Um, then we have to, you know, think, think uh, more reflectively and say, you know, what can I do? And I like, as you were talking about a long time ago with the, the placement of the carbs uh, and, and Liver King, uh, our buddy Liver King down there mm -hmm. in Texas as well saying, earn your carbs. And it's kind of a cool theme where, you know, you sit down to uh, a lavish meal that includes the sweet potatoes and your other favorite choices because you did, uh, you know, do some five events in your pentathlon or whatever. I hope you had a lavish mm -hmm. meal at the end of that competition. Oh, I did. And, and yeah, no. That's a great one. I, I, I love that earn your carb stuff. I've been trying to say that for years because I, I try to do a lot of memes on my food lies Instagram, but the, I, I did a meme of the person who's like a office worker in Ohio and they're eating the lavish meal with all the sweet potatoes. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this person did not earn their carbs. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is a great point. It's like, I did another one. It's like, people are out there eating like they just, uh, Michael Phelps when they're sitting mm. in an office all day, you know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. And that's a big problem. What, what I have with the food pyramid too. It's like, that's, I mean, maybe some athletes like the UCLA athletes sound like they eat the food pyramid diet because mm -hmm. they probably have nutritionists telling them to eat the food pyramid mm -hmm. diet, but they were lean because they went out and earned them. I mean, they weren't eating the right sources of carbs, I think, but we gave the, the entire nation and a diet that was for UCLA multi-event athletes. <laughs> and it's a bunch of people sitting in an office. So yes, right. the modern, the modern world is a crazy place and we still can live in it. We don't have to do like glow and loincloths and live in a cave. You know, it's just like, we just have to be thoughtful about how do we, how do we do it? How, how do we like bring in the ancestral principles with modern life? And I think it's, it's actually not that hard. And I think you and, and Mark and so many other people have been talking about this stuff for years, right? It's like, how do we just like do it in our modern life? And you could just do a little hacks like, yeah, get the blue light blocker on your computer or, you know, don't have the fluorescent lights, you know, like get some, some like softer red lights or something. So yeah, I don't think it's impossible to do in the modern world. Uh, tell me quickly about your concept of the, the, the score of plus one, zero or minus one when oh. you're making food choices. I love that. It's so simple. Yeah. With the foods, this is how, 
I kind of sh- shook up my head of thinking like, I, I think the carnivores are very interesting, right? I've known Saladino and Sean Baker and these guys for many, many years. They are bringing light to the problems with plant foods and how all the nutrient density might be in the animal foods. So I had this idea, like what if foods were just in these three categories, that all animal foods were a plus one, all processed foods were a negative one, and plant foods were just kind of neutral. And and I, I think plant foods are kind of neutral. I, I hate I hate to say it to people, like kale isn't gonna like save your life, you know? Like kale has a lot of oxalates, has a lot of, like you're not actually getting a lot of those nutrients from it. I don't eat kale anymore. I ate spinach and kale like every day. I, I kind of went overboard with that. And I think mm-hmm. I had problems with oxalates. Well, that's a side story. So the real story is I think plant foods are pretty neutral. They're not going to do you harm maybe if, if you eat them seasonally, but they're not going to, they're not superfoods. And that if you think of diet in that like plus neutral and negative, it kind of makes sense. Like you can look at anyone's diet and it's like someone could eat a pescatarian diet and be really healthy. And I said, yeah. Well, you're, you're getting the positive foods from your fish. You're eating a whole bunch of neutral plant foods that are just giving you energy. <laughs> and, and you're, you're not, not eating, eating the minus ones. You're not eating the minus ones. So it's like, it's yeah. perfectly fine. And so I don't know. It's just interesting because I, I think of plants as survival foods. And I think that's kind of, you know, more common in the ancestral health world, right? Where we're like, we wanted to hunt meat. And this is exactly what I saw with the Hadza. They were out there every day hunting meat. The men were not out there chewing on those potatoes things with all this fiber in them, they were getting meat. So fallback foods, if we didn't get a, a successful mm-hmm. hunt, which I think we were very successful actually, uh, throughout history. And, um, if we didn't somehow, or yeah, there's many other times where the weather or the conditions could have been bad and we, we could have gotten plant foods and survived. And I think they are just like this fallback plan. And it's amazing how humans developed and how nature works where we have this fallback plan, but they are just kind of neutral. They're just there to like keep us alive in time of famine. That's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, Brian. I know. Well, Mark, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's off the big ass salad train. It sounds like lately. I don't know. Last time I was yeah. with them. I mean, uh, we, we got a hold of Saladino in, in 2019 and, um, he had some epic podcasts with, with Mark where he was just, you know, wearing him down and, and you know, p- pinning him into a corner and saying, so why are you eating that salad? What are you doing it for? And we're like, uh, Mark's like, uh, the chewy texture, uh, you know, is, is a nice, nice, nice feel in the mouth. Um, but yeah, it does cause some rethinking and, and recalibration. Um, but just to, to walk away with this, this scoreboard of going for the plus ones, understanding that, um, you know, the important message that I think Dr. Saladino communicates uh, really nicely is that mm-hmm. these things are not only um, not essential, but they could be harming you if you're sensitive. And I don't consider myself one of those people that was having, you know, dramatic problems from having a variety of plants in my diet, but I kind of turned on a dime back in 2019 going, geez, this, this, this guy seems right. And um, we have human evolution as a uh, something to draw upon. And the reason we got big brains and, and rose to the top of the food chain uh, was not from the kale smoothies, nor the salads. It's, it's amazing when you, when you kind of shake up your head and think about it. And I'm glad that Paul moved to the fruit too, because right. I knew him since 2018, I think. Actually, we had a great little panel with Marxist and Paul Saladino, Sean Baker and I in 2019. Oh, nice. And we did wow. a debate 
And we kind of talked about all these things. And we were in the studio in LA. It was when everyone was in town. And that's when Mark was saying, he was like, kind of like, oh, I'm not into the big ass salad anymore. You know, he was kind of like, all right. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad Saladin is getting into this fruit too, because it is kind of along the lines of that pro-metabolic approach of like the, this, this fruit as the least anti-nutrients. It's kind of like the safest food. And it's interesting too, to think about ancestrally, these are the most prized foods. It's meat and fruit. These were the most prized foods. And this is what humans sought after. And it kind of makes sense. And this is, you know, they, the plant doesn't protect the fruit with anti-nutrients, right? They, they're pretty safe. And so now everything kind of just makes sense now, right? You, when you, this, it's kind of mean fruit. And I know a lot of people, especially in Austin, they're doing well on this kind of new, new idea of meat and fruit makes sense ancestrally. Wait, every, everyone in Austin's doing well. Otherwise, they'd get kicked out of town or not be allowed <laughs> to move there. I mean, it's the, the epicenter of the, the, the cool universe. So, so, so amazing. You told me about all these cool gatherings, and that's probably one of the best things about living there, where there's a tremendous awakening in health and so many people with passion and interest. And you go jogging on the, um, the Town Lake Trail. And, you know, where I've lived, um, it would be very rare to see another um, person out exercising. And so mm. when I'm, when I was out on the town Lake trail going for, you know, a quick jog one morning, I'm, I'm saying hi to all these people that are passing. Then I finally had to stop because there's 712 people that I'm going to pass on a five mile run. I finally had yeah. to just put my head down and carry on. Cause my, my smile's getting stretched too far, but anyway, plugs props for Austin. Love that place. It's amazing. And people get it. People are mm. awake. And they are healthy and they know that meat is healthy and they're like entrepreneurial. It's a, it's a magical place. So you're deep into this. You've built some strong convictions, I'm sure, for over the, the, the decade stretch here. We've talked about many of them. Um, now, what do you do when you come across, let's say, um, an opponent or a detractor that's... Uh, you know, challenging your, your life's work. How do you process this? And um, are we, are we going to say that um, these people are just stuck in the past uh, referencing flawed science, things like that? Or, um, you know, how do, how do we uh, reconcile, especially when we're talking about people who have a lot of prominence, a lot of respect, uh, they're citing a lot of research and they're dead ass wrong to, to, mm -hmm. um, to, 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 to give the, uh, the secret soundbite. It's not easy. Uh, I, I've done, um, I've actually done a, a public debate. I went at a, I went to a food industry conference a couple of years ago and it was a plant-based, well, everything in the food industry now is very plant-based fake meat. All the fake meat companies there, all the big companies you've ever heard of were there, the Beyond Foods and all that stuff. And they had me, I was the only one supporting meat and uh, they gave me 15 minutes and I did a presentation. It's actually on YouTube. It's why we should be eating more meat, not less. Oh. story in 15 minutes. It's one of my most popular videos on the Food Lies channel. But uh, then we had a little debate and it, it was interesting. So this lady was like a lifelong vegetarian and she didn't look good. That's what a lot of people notice is she, she thought, okay, I was 37. She thought I was 27. Oh, I was 28. I was 38. She thought, yeah, 20, no, 27. I, she was in like mid forties. I thought she was in her mid fifties. So that's just, it's just interesting, but she, by the end of it, she actually kind of did come around to what I was talking about because 
I, I was making sense. And it, it's really hard to use logic with the other side. And I think part of the problem too, is what you're saying is you're go, that they have all these studies too. That's kind of the problem with science in general. It's like, there's a study for everything these days. And it doesn't mean that it's true. And like, who's funding it or how they did it. You know, how can we even do a study on an unhealthy population? <laughs> how many mice died? <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how many people died that they didn't count in the study? Yeah, exactly. And then how do we do studies on if everyone's eating seed oils and everyone's eating processed foods? How do we even find out anything? If we're mm. looking at that population, there's so few people that are like you and I and the Austin cool people that are just aggressively avoiding seed oils and processed foods. There's like a handful of people in the nation and we're mm. not in these studies. Uh, I've never heard of anyone who's ever been part of any study other than Zach Bitter, actually, who was part of the faster mm. study with Jeff Volek. But anyway, it's super hard to do this science stuff. It's super hard to, to go against the mainstream. The problem is the mainstream has all the funding and all the momentum and all the textbooks and all the kind of establishment view of things. I guess my, my main answer is that's why I have to make a film. I have to make a six part series to put all this info into one place for people. And then maybe they can start shaking it up and like realizing, wait a second, maybe this whole food pyramid, or maybe the government, you know, they have different motives other than my personal health. And, and I, I came to some realizations along the way that just the, the law of human nature is basically, there always is sort of like these upper classes that are just putting things down to the the peons basically you know there's there's the pharaohs and there's the slaves and it's, it's always kind of been like that and the views from the top are usually good for them or good for just controlling the masses or just mm. even even like a more innocent term is just like keeping people in line you know mm -hmm. like you, you could think of the the, the sort of malevolent way you would think about it was the, the controlling and you know gaining from this and but or you could just think of it as well they're just trying to keep a bunch of people in line it's not good for the individual. It's good for them to keep people in line. And that's why you have to make these general recommendations that, and they just try to throw them out there. And then that's why the, there's this establishment, just call it the establishment of like the medical establishment, the pharma, like mm. whatever government, they have this establishment narrative that it has to keep going along and you can't disrupt it. If you go against it, you won't get funded right? Your lab won't get funded or you, you won't get study tenure. Won't get you won't get. Yeah. And it, but it all makes sense to me now. I actually spoke at KetoCon and my presentation was called the exposing the trillion dollar agenda against red meat. And it's more than just money, but I felt, but like, because people, you know, you talk about the, the car ride, the elevator ride, the Uber ride, the airplane ride. Talk, I talked to so many people about this because I've been making this film for so long and they're always like, but but, but, you know, I, I, the news said this, or like the, the world health organization said meat causes cancer. And like the AHA, you know, the American heart association says this, and you have to go back and look at a hundred year history or even 12,000 years history of <laughs> agriculture and accumulation of wealth and like how the, the power dynamics work to, to understand why this exists why why is everyone in line with the same message eat less meat eat less fat right i, I know i've just opened a whole new can of worms but i think you and most people listening kind of understand this generally right because in the health field we've kind of gotten sort of red-pilled on this idea that the big institutions don't have our best interests in mind and you need to to for your own health need to kind of go against that
that is a pretty nice summary right there, man. <laughs> That's teeing us up for a certain viewing of the food lice. Now, tell me the difference between you're, you're making a feature length film and cool. a six part series or how do those fold together? Oh, no, it was a feature length film. Then we couldn't pack everything in. Okay, and... so it's a six part series. It's gonna we're gonna get it on Netflix. If we yes. if you have any listeners in the executive level at Netflix, please. Oh yeah, I'm worried that Netflix isn't gonna take it because you know Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers' film Sacred Cow didn't make it to Netflix. Who knows why? They just said mm. we couldn't make a deal. So it's either they didn't want this pro meat film, or mm. maybe they lowballed them. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like it. I have no idea. The, what I can do is make the highest quality, best film mm-hmm. that they will. There's no reason they can turn it down. And also, it's not just like this pro meat film that's in your face. Like Sacred Cow is a little bit like this is a pro meat film. Yeah, we're kind of just like, hey, what's going on with food? And to kind of sum up everything we've talked about today, the 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 main thing is let's focus on the right enemy. The mainstream, the establishment has been putting red meat as the enemy and fat and animal foods in general as the enemy. And we've tried to fight that enemy and it hasn't worked because it's wrong. Of course, it's not going to work. If you're telling everyone to eat less red meat and everyone's getting fatter and sicker, of course, that's going to happen because it's absurd. And so the real enemy is the three main ingredients, the added sugar, refined grains and seed oils. And these make up 80% of foods out there. Lauren Cordain said 71% of the calories in the modern diet, citing research, come from entirely non-human, non-paleolithic foods. That's a big number. And it's, 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 hard, to, it's hard to believe, but um, we see it every day when we're driving by the fast food and the, most of the supermarket offerings mm-hmm. and all that. That's it. So it's a simple message. It's this is the real enemy, the highly processed foods. And the other message is, Animal foods are glorious and healthy and amazing. And, and we go through the whole story from evolution. We start with some amazing paleoanthropologists and archaeologists and people wow. that actually do the studies, the people that actually dug up the bones and showed, you know, the old mastodon bones from, you know, a million years ago. And the, well, that would be 300,000 years ago. And the, you know, percussion marks on the bone marrow. So we can see that the earliest mm. humans were eating bone marrow. Like we have all of these researchers in the film. We tell the whole story going through to, from the agricultural revolution to the bad science that was done, the whole Nina Teicholz stuff, you mm. know, shout out to Nina Teicholz, Gary Tobbs, these two journalists that have exposed so much of this bad science that has been done. We make it through talking about all this nutrient to energy stuff. The Ted Naiman is a big part of the film talking about this stuff. We got all the greats, you know, we got the Ben Bickman's and all we have, then it, it moves in. And so we actually tell people to make sense of this stuff, right? Like what diet, like why we don't need a specific diet, but why there's a framework where humans can be healthy. And it's basically what we talked about this, you know, this whole day. And then it, it ends with the regenerative agriculture slash, you know, environmental side of, debunking those vegan arguments, you know, <laughs> Joel Salton, you know, just all that great stuff about how we can raise animals in a healthy way for them, for humans and for the environment. So there it is. That's a six part series. And it couldn't have been done in one film, right? I just kind of listed yeah. out like so much stuff that would take someone years to research. Well, basically what, you know, I have been doing for years is trying to put this all together. No one's going to go do all that and listen to 200 podcasts and do all you read 200 books. So we're that's 
why it's a six part series now, more bite sized. People can jump on Netflix, watch, you know, 30 minute episodes and get all of this info in one place. Well, that's great. It'll set you up for, of course, you know, part seven, part eight, part nine, because there's endless more to talk about. Oh, yeah. Brian Sanders, people go order some nose to tail. It's nose to tail dot org is the Mm -hmm. um, the resource and um, listen to the peak human podcast. Where else should we should we go to connect? Food lies. Just search for food lies on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm there. I'm making content every day and you'll hear about all the updates. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Brian Sanders. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. 
Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.